what? We finally got the 2024 Messy Reformation Conference on the schedule. Block off your calendars for April 15th through the 17th, 2024. The theme for our first ever conference is Courageous Leadership, with a particular emphasis on what courageous leadership looks like in times of Reformation. In our current Reformation, the CRC needs leaders who are willing to stand firm in their convictions and lead their churches, classes, and denomination with courage and boldness. We've designed this conference to help equip, encourage, and paint a vision for what that courageous leadership will look like wherever God leads us. To find out more about this conference, or to get signed up right away, head on over to themessyreformation.com. Don't wait to get signed up. We need people to get signed up as soon as possible to get a handle on how many people are coming and what to expect, so don't wait. And don't miss this opportunity to equip yourself connect with fellow leaders, and be part of this messy reformation in the CRCNA. As you know, whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy and courageous leaders are needed. That's why we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church, find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for this podcast so that the algorithms push our content further into the world that needs to hear what we're saying. You are the marketing plan, and we believe we've placed our marketing in good hands. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with John Sprunk. Yeah, I've said that in our church quite a bit. I've been really encouraging and kind of almost more than nudging our congregation to start doing. Um, I remember listening to uh, Kevin Adams. He planted, uh, I forget what church it is now in California, uh, but he had talked about one of the things that they did that was really helpful in reaching the community. They did like wine and cheese block parties. And so like you would just invite everybody on your block over to your place and you'd drink some good wine and eat some cheese and just talk. That was the point. You just got to meet your neighbors. You got to know them. You built relationships. Conversations happened. uh, Evangelistic opportunities came up. And so I've been telling my church that wouldn't work as good in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, it would be, you know, brat and cheese and, and, you know, some people may not like this and probably some beer um, in an appropriate manner. But, uh, but have a, invite people over for grill some brats and, and just have them over to your house and, host them, you know, and, and talk to people on your, on your block or on your street, or, you know, if you're out in the country, it's a, a block is pretty large, but there's only, you know, four or five people in there, you know, invite some people from your neighborhood over and uh, grill and just hang out and talk. And that's really one of, uh, one of the best evangelistic strategies I think we're going to have moving forward. I've been studying that recently. It's kind of been my new kick. I've been studying the, uh, uh, kind of the missional is the, they didn't use that word, but evangelistic strategies of the early church. Like what were they doing in the first and second centuries to share the gospel? And most of it was just organic 
relationship type stuff that they were doing. They were just being Christians and inviting people in and talking to them and sharing the gospel with them. And I think for the future of the church, I think that's what we need to get into uh, more and more and more. Yeah. I mean, it's that it's not a brand new thing. It's not radical necessarily in any way, but yet it is in our culture where we, yeah, we become so isolated from each other. We don't know who's our neighbor, you know, it's hard. And so, yeah, just, Hey, you know, a, a, a non-threatening, just let's have a meal. Let's eat, you know, yeah. um, and just even get to know each other is a good thing. Yeah. Well, I want to change gears a little bit because I, I want to get your thoughts on this, you know, being someone who's kind of grown up in the CRC their whole life. And uh, when you were feeling a call to ministry, were you always thinking, hey, I want to be in the CRC? Or were you questioning whether you wanted to stay here or go somewhere else or what was kind of on your mind in that process? Yeah. So when I was feeling the call to ministry, um, like I said, I grew up CRC through and through. My wife, same thing. Um, and yet, you know, it's, it's interesting to, you know, feeling yet the, the, still the pull to stay in the denomination. I, I, I had, I made this comment I have in my, in my dad's side of the family, you know, um, his five siblings all stayed in the, we're in the CRC. All of us cousins were baptized in CRC, but now uh, out of 16 cousins, you know, who are, all of us are now in our are you know maybe early fifties to to you know thirties? I think of us sixteen, like three of us are still in the denomination, and and nothing you know. It, I would say all of us are are in a Christian church of some kind or some nature. It isn't like anybody's really left Christianity. But I have some cousins that went out. I have I have one cousin that's Protestant reform now uh, via marriage. I have one a uh, couple that went United. Uh, reformed. I have a few that went, you know, uh, generally evangelical, I would say, and went much more kind of that route or evangelical free church, you know, and, and those, I I have a couple that did go, um, have been a part of RCA churches. And so, but for me, I still, you know, had a heart for this denomination of love and still thought, you know, there was a future for us. I did probably upset a few of, uh, of my, mentors in Minn Kota when I ended up at that in that time and season going to Calvin Seminary. Uh, <laughs> I this is where I give my sorry shout out to Leroy Christoffels who tried so hard to get me to go to Westminster West. And I probably <laughs> saddened him and grieved him when I went to Calvin instead. Um, but I got I the advice I got at the time and I really did appreciate that. And I still I still believe in that um was my my pastor at Volga at the time uh, who had he had left and taken a call but it was John Dalma. And he said, what's your goal? And I said, well, I think I want, you know, I, I want to be a pastor. He says, well, do you want to be a CRC pastor? I said, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I want to be a CRC pastor. He says, that's not a knock on any of the other seminaries. They all do very good things, whether you went to RTS or you went to Westminster East or West or you went to Mid-American. He says, but still at this time, if you want to be a CRC pastor, the best place in the world to go is Calvin. And I still believe he was right in that context and in that way. And I've appreciated the experiences that Calvin gave me, um, you know, in seminary. I went from I, I had the head trip of going from from my main mentor, you know, in uh, in class this Minn Kota, which was Tim Brown and Leroy Christoffels to my mentor in seminary was Peter Borgdorf. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's probably not a lot of people that had that pairing of mentors in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a joy. I mean, I, 
Peter, yeah, was a good friend. Of course, he's passed on now. And and yeah, we had our disagreements about certain things. And that was a lot of time, especially in my last year, was especially the lead up in the denomination to the Belhar confession and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. You know, but but what I really appreciated learning from him certainly was, you know, administrative stuff, uh, you know, you know, those kind of, you know, thinking through church dynamics and, and, and yeah. And just learning the culture of, of a denomination. That's, and I appreciated him for exposing him. Like I said, I probably disagreed on several different things with him, but yeah, I ended up having Peter as my, as my uh, vocational mentor in seminary, but then also the experience of I, my internship, my cross-cultural internship was back to God hour in Indonesia, mm. you know, and getting to get exposed to media ministry in that context, in a reform context, and, you know, obviously a very different part of the world. Um, and then, you know, doing a, doing my congregational internship in, in Sunnyside, Washington, and, and learning of, you know, more of the West Coast CRC. Um, those are experiences I don't think I would have had. I know I wouldn't have had if I'd gone anywhere else. Yeah, there's certain things that, you know, I probably can critique about my Calvin experience. And and, and I'm sure things have changed since, you know, I graduated, you know, 15 years ago. Um, but I did appreciate learning the denomination and that's helped me, you know, now as not only a CRC pastor, but now as a, as a stated clerk, you know, and just, you know, knowing the connectedness, which obviously has been frayed in a number of ways over the, over the last number of years, but, you know, getting to know the family that we are. Yeah. Yeah. I've said that that has been one of the biggest blessings. And if I haven't said that publicly enough, I should do it more. But one of the biggest blessings of going to Calvin seminary is, or has been that connectedness within the denomination. It, I, I have felt uh, really at home in the denomination. And it's helped me kind of see, like you said, this family that we're connected to, and we get to see the, the kind of the weird aunts and uncles in the denomination. And we, you know, we get to kind of figure all of that out and get a good picture of what's going on here. And it has, it did ha- has helped situate me in the denomination and, and different from some of the guys that did go to Westminster and whatever, they've always kind of come in and they feel like an outsider a little bit. I think we probably need to work on that. But part of the outsiderness is they don't have all of the same relationships that we have coming out of Calvin Seminary. And so I'm also public about some of my frustrations I had at seminary, uh, but that was one massive blessing where it did help kind of situate me and seat me in this denomination as a pastor. Yeah, and it helped me learn our culture, who, what we're all about, what our emphasis is, and and wonderfully so. Now, yeah, there's detriments to that. I mean, I, in some ways, I I have a great deal of respect for you know, yeah, the folks who went to other seminaries who have you know better strengths in preaching or in in cultural awareness or you know they have a better depth of theological preparedness, you know, and or you know, whatever that might be, or, or just the, you know, the, the plus minus of being somebody who's been connected to different CRC churches and the family that it is. Sometimes that's kind of muted us when it's come to, to our controversies. Well, I don't want to offend somebody because I know, you know, I know that, you know, I went to school with them or this or that. And so I've really appreciated kind of the prophetic bluntness some of the guys who maybe have don't have those connections because they're able to say, you know, hey, you know, whereas, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, every year watching a synod broadcast and seeing, you know, certain 
classmates or people I know from seminary who, you know, say positions that I go, Ooh, really? Okay. You know, uh, and you just, you know, whereas sometimes I wish I didn't have those connections, but I, you do, you just invariably do. And that's one of the, the, the positives and negatives of being a connected, interconnected family type denomination, you know, and I see that, you know, similar things on a, on a local level. I have a church that I'm currently serving that one of the great strengths is it's a multi-generational, multi-connected church. You know, I have I have folks in their 90s who worship with their baby great-grandkids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's wonderful and that's great. But what happens when something goes, you know, with, you know, when... You know, yeah, you have a pastoral issue that comes up and yet yeah, it not only happens in this one little family unit, but okay, it spreads and that hurts. Or when somebody has to be disciplined or, you know, or gently corrected in some way, but also, you know, you know, their uncle and aunt is over there and they, you know, they have a relationship with this, you know, family over there. And that's, you know, that makes it hard. You mm-hmm. know? And, and I see that, you know, obviously on a local level, but that plays out denominationally as well. You know, it hurts to have to say to, you know, our brothers and sisters. And I've, I've as somebody who's done ministry in Minn Kota and classes Grand Rapids East, you know, it hurts to have to say, you know, you folks in Grand Rapids East, come back, please stop doing what you're doing, please. And then after a while, the please stops. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying that, and, and I, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts more on that because I think that's kind of where we're at um, in the CRC, especially with Grand Rapids East, right? We, I've said when somebody had asked me, and I don't know how controversial this is, but somebody had asked me if I spanked my kids when they were little. And I said, yes, I did. Um, I didn't have too much, but occasionally I did when they deserved it. And, but I would also, most of the time, I would look at them, I'd look them in the eye and I would say, if you do that again, I'm going to spank you. I don't want to spank you. I hate doing it. So please don't make me do that. But if you do it again, I will spank you. And then if they did it again, it was a very clear sign of rebellion and they needed to get a spanking, right? And uh, I feel like we're at that spot with some of these churches. And I know people get tired of the paternal whatever, but I'm just saying we're at this spot where we've been begging, saying, please stop. Please stop. Don't make us do something really, really hard. And it feels like we've kept getting like, no, no, we're going to keep going. Well, that'd be what my disagreement what was said at the end of, of, of Synod last year um, by the president when the discussion came about, you know, of Grand Rapids East, that some of this was going to be punitive. Yeah, it was, it's, you know, we're at that stage. That's what discipline is. Yeah. When you correct a child, whether it is the occasional spanking or, hey, you know, you're going to sit in the corner for a time out on this time or, yeah, yeah, you wanted to go out this Friday night. You're not going to because you violated this family rule. That hurts. It stings. It should feel now. Hopefully, as a parent, you're not just simply doing it for punitive measures like I want you to hurt because you've disobeyed. This. No, no. Obviously, as a parent or as a church or whatever, we're doing this for restoration. We're, you know, we're also affirming, hey, you know, you're still one of our children. You are doing this. But you can't keep doing this and keep expecting it not to hurt because you're, it's hurting us. Yeah, that's exactly right. I just want to say something here. You, you put your, your, uh, 
your head on something right away. And I, I think I'm just going to go ahead and say, just because something is punitive does not mean that its end goal is not restorative. Mm-hmm. These two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive to one another. So when Paul identified, oh, this motion is punitive, right. And the end goal of that is not just that they be punished. The end goal is that we continue to call them back to repentance and into covenant with us and experience the full restoration for what we want in this denomination. So just the fact that he identified this as punitive and then that's where it stopped, I think that's where a lot of people kind of went, you know, off the rails a little bit and went, no, never mind, I can't vote for this. Just my thoughts. Yeah, and it hits. I mean, none of us, none of us got into the into ministry or became a delegate to a to a classis or a delegate to a synod in order to to punish people. You know, I I don't want to do that. You know, I you know that's not my main end goal. I don't think any of us who ever have been elders or deacons or pastors at a at an assembly that's our goal. But at some level, biblically speaking, it enters in. I mean, it's hard to reconcile the New Testament without an idea of no, you're you're running, you're walking away from us. Come back, please. You know, stop doing this. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Second uh, uh, Corinthians uh, chapter seven, where Paul's talking about. Well, maybe we're not sure, right? Those those of us who've gone to seminary know that there were maybe four letters that were written to to the church in Corinth and. And First Corinthians was pretty harsh. We think there's one between maybe First and Second Corinthians that was even harsher, mm-hmm. where Paul really laid into them, and uh, and reflecting on the really harsh lay- letter that Paul sent to the Corinthians. Here's what he says: Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though. I did regret it, right? You hear him saying like, I don't regret that I disciplined you, but I, it, it really stunk. I, I, felt like I sent it. I kind of felt bad, but I wasn't sure. I, I didn't like doing it. He says, I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss for us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And, uh, you know, that's the goal of any any, uh, discipline, any cause of grief. Like we know we're doing some, we're going to have to do some things that are going to cause grief and even cause pain. And, and the reason isn't to just have them feel pain. The, the desire is that it would result in repentance that leads to life without regret. That it's a pain that leads to less pain in the future. Or to take a, a, a verse out of context, it is a light and momentary affliction that leads to something greater. Yeah, this so what is, do you I th- mean... Yeah, go ahead. No, this is you know this is the call of the of the full orb of the gospel. I mean, this is you know this is to put away the old self and to come to the new. And yeah, we still have to hold to that. It it, it 
strikes the gospel away if we never do that. And and we could talk about that once again. It's not only on an ecclesiastical level that that happens, but I mean, this is the personal level of the gospel. You know, telling your brother, hey, man, you can't go on like this. It hurts, you know, and I might have to, you know, if it's a, you know, if it's a fellow, you know, brother or it's a neighbor or whatever it might be, I, you know, there's consequences to your continued actions of, of what you're doing. And it hurts me to, to have to do that. Um, but I want you to come back, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that just, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm reading through Calvin's sermons on the book of Acts. And uh, one of the sermons I just read, I, I was reading it yesterday morning, and uh, he was talking about, it, it was on Peter's uh, Pentecost sermon, where he looks out at the crowd and they say, what should we do to be saved? And he says, repent and believe. And, and one of the things that Calvin points out in that sermon over and over again, he says, um, we cannot separate, the one quote is, Repentance and remission of sins must not be separated. We we and and I think we've lost a little bit of that. Um, and he says, if we think we're doing people a favor by being lenient, we're contributing to their ruin. And so it's kind of this over and over point where um, calling people to repentance is an aspect. It is a part of faith and the forgiveness of sins. Those things are connected together. And, uh, and that's, and we've lost that. I think a lot has been like, well, Jesus forgives you and move on. And, and we forget that no repentance is part of that act. Yeah. It's a continuation of, uh, you know, certainly we believe in justification, but yeah, we have that continuing sanctification. You know, you keep, putting to death the old man, you keep coming to life in the new, you know, you have to keep, yeah, we have to keep doing that to each other. I need somebody to preach the gospel to me again and again. It's not just that uh, I got it solved. I'm giving it to you. No, I need, I need brothers and sisters in my life to speak to me and say, eh, John, no, what are you doing here? No. And I hope that, I mean, of course that leads to, you know, that's discipleship, mm-hmm. you know, that's not discipline. That's discipleship. And yeah, we, Probably don't do a good job of that on a church level, and we're sometimes not that good at it on a local level either. Yeah, well, and I think we're we're trying to do it. You know, I'm I'm a big like bottom up kind of a guy, right? And so I think our denomination's not doing it well because our churches aren't doing it well, and our churches aren't doing it well because we're just not doing it well in general, just in our normal day-to-day life. I mean, when was the last time you sat down with somebody just one-on-one, not an official elder deacon capacity, but just said, hey, what you're doing should not be done. Mm-hmm. And and not in a judgmental way, but just saying, hey man, like this is not good. This is going to hurt you. This is dishonoring to your God. Like stop doing that. Um, We don't do that very often. We're afraid of that. Right. And, and, and I think most people, um, if I, well, maybe not most, but, but I hear a lot of people that say, well, I see that person, they're doing something that that's wrong. It's hurting them. They're kind of, they're living in sin. So I'm just going to love on them. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to love on them. That, that's what I'm going to do. And that'll, that'll bring them back. I'm like, well, love on them by telling them to repent of their sin. I mean, that's, that's how you love on them in that moment. Tell them you're there to support them. You're there to walk with them. You're there to help pull them back. 
you know, I, I told somebody, I said, uh, my the, my recent pastoral visits in the last week have been talking to a drug dealer in jail, uh, a woman coming off of meth, a, a tr- guy who's struggling with gender identity. Like in the, the conversations, I'm sitting there saying, "Come on, I'm here with you. Let let's let's walk out of this. Let's repent. I'm here to kind of help pull you out, but you need to repent. Like you got to turn from this, and I'm here to kind of pull you out of this because I love you. I'll help as much as I can." Um, and that's what we're trying to do in the CRC. And yet it feels like when we're trying to say, come on, come with us, we're getting the kind of the slap in the face saying, nah. And we, we've all probably as pastors have, or if, you know, as elders or even just anybody in the pew have probably had those moments where we've tried to do something like that and it didn't work. And we carry those scars where, you know, we were bold and we could, you know, try to, you know, and they shut us down and they didn't want to speak to us, you know, for several more years. I mean, I, have some of those scars as a pastor too, where, you know, you, you know, you say, you say it finally, you know, in some way you do it lovingly and tactfully, but yet, Hey, you can't keep doing this. And, you know, and suddenly they no show you it and then they drift away and you try as hard as you can, but you carry that scar of like, oh, it didn't work. But that doesn't mean we don't keep trying. Like it wasn't a failure of the gospel. It wasn't the failure of our Lord. And some of that comes, you know, I don't know how somebody's life, you know, may turn over, you know, I mean, playing the long game of decades, you know, but we still got to say it. We can't just yeah. mute our witness saying, mm, I don't want to say anything here because, you know, no. And once again, that's that's the push pull of like a church that I'm in where, yeah, sometimes those are hard conversations to have in, in a multi-connected, you know, family church, you know, family yeah. squabbles hurt, man. We still are called to struggle together. Yeah, amen. And we know that even though we can't see uh, that it's working, and I put that in quotes, we know that faithfulness to God is what works (laughs) and doing the work that God has called us to do. And and I've I've really come to the conclusion that, well, you'll maybe see an article I'm I'm writing in the process of writing right now. You know, work, work. We're kind of accusing one part of the church, like, hey, you're being unfaithful. You're doing what you should not do. And I'm trying to call the rest of the church to say, guess what? We're being unfaithful because we're refusing to do what God has told us to do. And so that 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 finger points both ways. And so we need to we need to repent as well and do the work that God has called us to do. What do you think, John? You know, being a stated clerk, you kind of have a pulse. I'm a stated clerk of Wisconsin too, so you get a pulse of some of what's going on in the denomination a little bit more than maybe the average person. Um, you know, what what do you think, kind of leading into Synod 2024? Like, what's uh, I'm not asking you to be a prophet or even make bets or a projection, but what are you kind of seeing, or what are your thoughts leading up to this next synod? You know, the vibe I'm getting, you know, now six months from the last one and now six months to, you know, we're halfway now, um, you know, you're starting to see, I would say the more progressive side and and those that I, you know, who are friends of mine, who I have contacts with, I think there's a a fuller realization that Synod 2022 and 23 were not an anomaly. You know, this is really who we are, you know, and, and there's a kind of a coming to grips with that. Uh, you know, not speaking out of turn on specific cases, but I mean, I see that, you know, shaking out in my classes in some ways. My class is a fairly conservative classes, 
you know, but, you know, there's, I think, a greater realization, okay, yeah, this is what we are and as a denomination. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm hearing rumblings of, you know, just kind of a, a quiet, you know, movement of, you know, more, maybe more progressive pastors out. I'm not a, you know, a huge movement or anything, but just kind of folks that kind of realize, eh, you know, if there's an opportunity, you know, some in something else, maybe this is the time I would take it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think, and of course the big question, you know, I think that will come up for this synod as I see it is, is still, you know, getting to, to solid ground on what is a gravamen and what are we doing with this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's a, a recognition that, the gravamen setup at you know came from decades ago was never just simply well if I don't like this part of the confession I'll just use a gravamen and that's not what it was intended for it was intended to be kind of a pastoral hey I, I'm questioning this brothers help me see what you all see in this and why I maybe might be in error but you know help me you know work with me guide me you know, and 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 get me back on board you know in a way that just doesn't simply you know get me, you know, excommunicated right away or anything, but let's, you know, help bring us back and in a restorative kind of way, not, well, I'm using a gravamen because I don't care for this, you know, I don't care for Lord's Day 35 and therefore I never will, but this is my way to still be a a Christian Reformed pastor, even though I don't believe in the second commandment or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on top, you know, as I've had a lot of conversations, I mean, obviously because, all of the gravamen stuff from last year got tabled to this year. There's a lot of talk about that. And most people recognize like that's one of the big main points coming up. And then the second one is this idea that we were just talking about discipline or, and I think, and what I've felt like the conversation has turned, it's not just discipline. It's really a turning to saying, Hey, we can't walk together anymore. There has to be some level of separation coming and and what's that going to look like? Um, and how is that going to work? And it seems like kind of those are the two main points leading up to 2024. Yeah. And I, I think the connections that I have with folks in the denomination that I would say are more, you know, of a better together type persuasion or that, you know, or folks or, who are much more kind of connected into the apparatus of the denomination is just this real realization. Okay. Yeah. There is no way forward that includes everybody. I mean, if you grant that, you know, if you have to say, come to the final conclusion, okay, there's just no way this can, this big tent can all be a big tent as it is, that there's just, there's, it, it can't happen. So therefore, now what? How, you know, now what's the step? And I think it's folks coming to that realization, you know, whether hopefully, you know, my prayer is, okay, well, then if if this is what Mother Church says, so to speak, May, you know, I have to submit to the will of scripture and this is what, you know, what the Bible says, you know, that's what my hope is, but also might be, okay, yeah, maybe this isn't the best fit for me. I mean, I felt that pull and tug as somebody who's grown up in the Christian Reformed Church, you know, my whole life, that the big question of our generation is, is the Christian Reformed Church primarily going to be a cultural identity in that, hey, we're all sort of Dutchish. We all kind of grew up with similar programs. Hey, you went to Gems. You went to Cadets. Hey, we did youth convention together. Hey, we ended up at 
at a place, you know, like Dort or Redeemer or, or together. And, you know, we we have those kind of cultural things. And and within that big tent, if you want to be, you know, if you want to, you know, become, you know, progressive in this way or that way, or you want to become unorthodox in this opinion or that, we were a big enough tent because grandma still is in the denomination. And, you know, you know, your cousins are still here and you, you know, we have room for folks who might, you know, deny atonement and that kind of thing. Or, and this is the generation I think that's going to have to ask this and answer this question, are we primarily a theological denomination? What's going to hold us together is what we believe. Mm-hmm. And that's also then going to include, you know, folks who, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've loved the testimony of, of so many of our, our multi-ethnic churches that are choosing us not because, you know, <laughs> You know, we have Dort College or not choosing us because we, you know, uh, you know, have a certain type of last name or we like a certain type of peppermint. But, hey, we love your theology and we love your confessions. And this is what we want our church to be. And, man, they choose us. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, Amen. That's the way. That is the way for us uh, forward, I think, is... uh, um, and it's kind of funny, right, where we, I think most are recognizing that we were a denomination that did find our unity, not in the three forms of unity, but in our cultural identity and our connectedness, right? That that strength that we were talking about, this kind of connectedness where I can go all these different places and connect to people. And I know a bunch of people from Volga, South Dakota, like who would ever think that I would know people from Volga, South Dakota, but I do. And, uh, and that beautiful connectedness, but that's where we have found our identity and we're recognizing that an identity founded on, or a a unity founded on identity, um, is like sand and and it falls away, but unity founded on our doctrines and our theology is, is what's going to stand the test of time as cultural winds shift and change. Uh, God doesn't, and that means his, his word doesn't and theology doesn't, and that there's a foundation there that that will hold us together in the midst of all of the storms, you know, we're going through. And it, and it cuts both ways. And I've, you know, and that probably is what kept me in this denomination in some ways was, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm family connected throughout all this. So I'm going to fight for this. You know, if, if I didn't have this, yeah, there's probably other places that do reform theology better than us and do preaching better than us or discipleship better. Than us. I mean, there's, you know, as much as we like to pride ourselves on, uh, that was, when I, when I went to my my first church in Austinville, um, I learned in the community it was known as the post toasty church, which I had no idea what that meant. Had had no and, and what I had learned was there's you know old school advertisements for cereal back in the 1960s and 70s for 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 post cereal for post toasties, and their their adage was just a little bit better. And that was what everybody in the local community says, you know, you, you at, at Austinville CRC in connection to, you know, the local, you know, Presbyterian or Baptist or RCA or this church, you guys are supposed to, you're just a little bit better. And we've, we've kind of ingrained that in our DNA. Well, you know, and, and that's, you know, some of the hubris I've also thought, you know, some of, you know, maybe the better together side has displayed over the last number of years is like, well, you know, we're CRC, we can solve our way through this by just simply, you know, you, if we can unify ourselves around something and it's like, who do we think we are? This has failed in every other denomination, every other denomination that's, you know, that's hit this issue has had some pain. Why do we think we're any different? And yeah, it's kept us together, you know, and it's hopefully going to get us through it. 
Mm -hmm. And to that end, um, you know, as, as we're starting to wrap up this episode, you know, like we said, we've got a lot of things coming up. We've got classes meetings, you know, winter classes meetings, spring classes meetings, synod coming up in six months time, give or take. Um, what would be some of your final words for some of our listeners, whether they're parishioners or lay leaders or elders or deacons or ministers, what would kind of be your word to them um, kind of in the midst of all these things, looking forward to everything we've just mentioned? I know there's a lot of weariness across the denomination, whether you're, you know, whether you're more conservative side or progressive side, there's, you know, it's been a hard last few years. And then of course you're coming out of, out of pandemic stuff and everything in our cultures and it's been wearying, you know, find in your local church, what are the things that bring enthusiasm? What are the things that, you know, that God is doing in your midst that you can hold on to and, and grow and celebrate? Because uh, there are still phenomenal things that are happening in ministry. There are still joys. You know, don't lose sight of, yeah, we can, you know, we can get hard on ourselves about, oh, man, this isn't going well. And we're having this controversy or it seems like this synod meeting is contentious or this. We see, you know, these shots that are taken against the CRC on social media or this or that. No, it, 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 almost forget the noise at a certain level. You know, there are still kids coming to faith. There are still folks in your congregation that are going through trying times that they're drawing upon God in a way that is new and fresh and is giving them peace. You know, there is still the spirit at work and don't lose sight of that. You know, and it's not that we just simply have to be kind of Pollyanna, you know, you know, sing la 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 and everything's okay. No, there's, there are great things happening and don't lose sight of it and continue to, to, you know, work towards that hope and joy that we have. Yeah, there's certain things that aren't going to go well, but there's also many things that are going great. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way, you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to The Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for our conversation with Nick Monsma. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy Reformation.